Hey everybody, welcome to the Wellness at Works podcast. Hi Lily. Morning Sam, grey out there today but I'm Horrible. hoping that uh, this this lovely interview we're about to do is going to brighten our day. Oh nice, yeah I yeah. think she might. I do too. How are you feeling today? Um, yeah, a bit grey. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> We're no, so right. British. <laughs> but I am so British. I mean, we could go on and on, couldn't we, about seasonal affective disorder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and all that business. But actually, no, I'm feeling all right. It's just yeah. that my new house is really cold and it's really annoying. So I look like an old granny walking around in my, in my yeah. cardigans permanently. Wow. Let, let's let's get straight into it and uh, introduce our very special guest this week. So we've got um, an Olympian, an England rugby player and an inspiring keynote speaker. We have mm-hmm. Heather Fisher with us. Hi, Heather. Hey, guys. How are you both? Very oh, good. Thank you. We're saying very good now because we're talking to you. <laughs> yeah, we know. I just heard you say how great you felt. <laughs> no, no, no. It all changes once we start the podcast. Um, yeah, it's lovely to have you with us, Heather. Um, and I suppose I mean, I'd love to get straight into your story because we feel like your story has got so many different dimensions to it. Lots of chapters. Lots of chapters. <laughs> and I guess um, if we're thinking about your personal and your sporting journey, we know sport was very important to you from a young age. So do you want to sort of just tell us from childhood where, you know, start your story for us? Yeah, my story has got so many parts to it and roller coasters, and it's always difficult. I feel like whenever I do uh, a talk, it's so difficult. To, I don't almost fit it in because I, I actually physically can't because yeah. I think it has so many twists to it. Um, but I suppose prominently from a young child, sport was always, I suppose, my saving grace. It was my go-to. It was something I felt that I could prove myself in, prove my worth. Um, I felt like I... I felt like I was secretly always on my own mission. Like I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be an Olympian. I knew I wanted to be an athlete. I didn't know how, I didn't know, I didn't know what, I didn't know how. I didn't have anyone coaching me. I didn't have uh, my parents at home taking me, taking me everywhere. That wasn't the childhood I had. So when people now say, oh, Fish, you're really lucky. You know, you've got everything going for you. I'm like, actually, you haven't really got a clue. Like I wasn't the young girl who had their kids ring, um, the parents ring around like a taxi. That wasn't mm-hmm. my mom and dad. Um, my mom went through two divorces and that was quite prominent from the age of like 11 until my early twenties. That really played a massive part of my life. Um, but it also triggered my eating disorder really young. Um, and I suppose it triggered emotions, depression, anxiety, really, really young in my life. So the only thing that kept me on the straight and narrow mm-hmm. was my sport. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just a sport. I can't say that I solely went into a sport. I just used to literally um, ride my bike or go and do martial arts or go rowing um, and just do something to, to know that I was on my journey to being an Olympian. I just didn't know how I was going to do it, which is a bit weird, I suppose, a bit backward, but that I knew I was on that journey without even knowing where to start. But also so, really headstrong, true. really headstrong as a child, because I, I, mean, I, I get it, I was a sporty kid. And I would have loved to have sort of excelled in sport, yet I had nobody around me guiding me, similar thing. But you you just kept going. You, you did what you thought you had to do to get there. Yeah, so that's, that's a good way to put it. Like someone said to me the other day, I wish I had, I wish my parents pushed me into sport. And I'm like, what? I went, I didn't get pushed into sport. No. Like you've got to look at yourself as a young person out there. And is it, even as a mother and a father, like you don't have to push your kid into something. It's about giving them the opportunity. Like, I had exposure. 
So mm -hmm. I think exposure or the opportunity to be able to go and do something. But then your young people, you know, as a young person, I was so, so, so strong. And I think, you know, for me, the key to success in, in businesses, in, you know, in anything to do with um, in having that headspace where you want to be successful, whether it's to be a millionaire, whether it's to start up, you know, a range of gyms, whether it's to mentor people or be a business consultant or be an Olympian, like you've got to be able to have that headspace that is so strong, like no one could ever push me off my tracks. And mm -hmm. um, it's something that I, I stood myself, I, I gave myself from a very engaged values and I gave myself those values that behind closed doors or in front of people, I would literally live by those values and they were literally within me, they were innate in me. Mm. No, it's really interesting because we've had a few Olympians on, on the podcast and obviously from all walks of life, you can tell that people have had different upbringings, different ways into sport. But I think the similarity with all of all of you guys is that kind of tunnel vision focus for what you want. And I think that's how it's so inspiring for people listening and watching you guys uh, in your sport. And it was really interesting to hear you touch on, you know, you started to feel a lot of mental health issues from a very early age which I think a lot of people maybe don't realize they're going through at the mm -hmm. time until they're older and you know can look back on that but you talked a bit about anorexia um a bit a minute ago so could you tell us more about that because I think it's an area that there's a real stigma still talking about yeah it. I think it's a really sad area because mm -hmm. no one really wants to talk about it yeah. um as a mentor now for people with eating disorders I probably go against the grain of cans and what people say um I believe that food should be educated towards young people I believe that it shouldn't just be put in people's mouths and, and forced to feed which is where where it ends up going right yeah. um I feel like it's about educating the young person to to empower themselves and make themselves accountable and that's something for me like I I ended up being anorexic without knowing that I was in it and I was really really ill there's no pictures because I was I was I was really ill there's nothing to prove that I was I was it because mm. I was just in such a bad place I was I was I, I remember just being in a vicious circle thinking I need help no I don't I need help no I don't and it was literally that yeah. for years um and it was a combination of having the stigma of how athletes, the perception of what an athlete should look like, and especially female athlete. I thought I had to be strong but skinny. I thought that if you, unless you could see every muscle popping out, um, then I wasn't that athlete. And I still feel it now. I feel this pressure to be in a bikini with a six pack because I'm, mm -hmm. I'm classed as an athlete or Olympian and every Olympian have these six packs well actually we have to train towards them and you have to detrain and train and you have to peak at certain times and now yeah. I know that but I didn't know that as a young kid um so I had that side of it and then I had the understanding of then what a female in society should look like which was not bigger you know and it was all about being small and eating well and being nutritious so I got caught up in that cycle and then I wanted to be an athlete so I really was struggling and then on top of that I had no control over my parents and my life and um, when, when obviously the divorce happened at a young age, um, I was split from my dad and my brothers and sisters and it went to court and it was a, it was a pretty nasty breakup. Mm. Um, and it's, I suppose I, I really quickly became insignificant. So the only control I could have was my food. Then I realized it got me attention. And yeah. then I realized um, I've got my mom's attention. And then mm. I realized actually I need to stay where I am. I need to keep going. 
But then before I knew it, I was stuck in this trap where I, I didn't want to be. I didn't, I didn't set out to be anorexic. I just fell into it. And then I had muscle, I suppose, body dysphoria where I actually, I thought I was fat. I oh, wow. thought, I thought, I thought having skin was fat. And the person looking back in the mirror, I wouldn't see. So I, I was really, really ill. It got to the stage where I was stopped from all sport um, at school. I was stopped from walking to school, getting the bus to school. Um, I was stopped from going to school. I had glandular fever at a very young age to set me off at the age of 14. Um, and that was the first bout of being really low and having a low immune system that went with anorexia. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, I was stopped from every other sport I did. And that was my passion. So now when young people are stopped from doing sports with obviously everyone that's trying to support eating disorders, I get it. It's a numbers game. And what's, if it's not going in, it can't come out. I get yeah. it. But at the same time, it was my passion and it just keep keeping me away from my sport almost made me more angry and it mm -hmm. made me frustrated that I couldn't release all these emotions because actually it wasn't the food that was the issue like people go it must be food or why is my daughter why is my son going through this it was nothing to do with the food it was to do with everything else in my life and, yeah. and the lack of control I had in my life or, and social media um, was obviously low at the time but it was it was up and coming and it was everywhere out there on adverts so it was all that side of it that consumed my brain and because you're young you want to take all this knowledge in to be an Olympian and no one's there to mentor me. So I just did what I thought and ended up in this trap where every night after school, I was seeing counselors, psychologists, I've been weighed, I've seen nutritionists and I've seen doctors um, to the point where I was taken to hospital and threatened to go onto drips to, to be fed. Uh, and they said, if you lose one more notch overnight, you're in here. Um, mm. And it was almost a scare factor that actually I didn't appreciate either because it, mm. it, it, I was scared enough as it was because I knew it wasn't right. Um, I, I was I was I was skin and bone. I was literally skin and bone, and it's. I, I think it scares me how it still affects me to this day as, as an Olympian, and I think it, it still affects me with knowing that I've got no hair and my way to combat myself and my images to look after my body, mm -hmm. and then now going into retirement and transitioning out. How how does That's one seriously phase. go from training every day of my life, six hours a day, to an hour? Yeah, and then fit in everything else and understand that my body's going to change so there's so much going on in my head still but I suppose the difference is now I'm slightly older and have more control over it and it yeah. doesn't stop me from achieving and I think that's the biggest point is that it doesn't have to be a killer and it's the, it's the biggest out there and yeah. that's so sad because parents are at a loss and it, it's a secret it's a secret one because I've even mentored kids who you wouldn't look and go they're anorexic or they're no. bulimic, you know, and actually they're not eating. And you think, yikes, this isn't right. What are we, what are we creating in these young people? So for and me, that's it, the thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, but you, you hit the nail on the head when you say you knew what you knew what you were doing. You knew what was happening. You knew what you should be doing. These kids aren't silly. They are. They know what is happening is wrong, but there is no control. Yeah. You know. Um. So how did you? get through that and gain back that control we're not saying I mean we've spoken to many people and, and like you say it stays with you you just work with it and now you're in an adult's mind versus a, a child's mind and you're more educated and you know you're an Olympian so you you are fully aware of mm. you know nutrition and, and things like that now but how did you overcome that period of your life and sort of get back into sport the will to want to get better and to be Olympian overrides, like, I suppose, overrides all the other thoughts and feelings I had. So as soon as a doctor asked me, and he, I don't know his name, I don't know what mm -hmm. he looks like, but I remember sitting in the chair and my, and my mom sitting outside and he just said to me, what do you want to be when you're older? I said, an athlete. 
and I didn't admit my dream to anyone because I think like everyone in business sport and successful fields right fear is the biggest thing that holds us back and fear mm. is something you feel like stupid if you don't achieve it or you know it's scary going for something and it still is really scary whether it's business or sport it's scary over the top um so I didn't admit it to many people but I did on this occasion I did and I said I want to be Olympian and he said you won't be an athlete if you don't eat mm-hmm. and it was literally those words and I suppose from a young age down in my 20s that led me down the route of mentoring because it it, it showed me actually physically that one voice can make a massive difference it takes one voice to make that difference in one's life Mm -hmm. so if we can all do that to young people then oh my gosh what an amazing world it it would be if we could have those changes so for me it was literally that and I went home I started eating um I didn't start eating loads I just started eating I started eating more of an understanding of what I should be eating like my carbs I started having, you know, more cereals. And again, now I look and go, oh my God, I wouldn't touch a cereal because of all the sugar. But at the time, that was what I was fixated on. And we have these fixated foods that we think are okay. Mm-hmm. So I had certain foods that I would eat, like boiled rice with cheese on top, pasta with cheese on top, um, special kale, bran flakes, and that was it. But that was my diet. Um, and then from there, I slowly eat, I started to eat more. and I started to gain more confidence. I got back into school um and I got back back into sport but I was really really low in confidence and it took a massive part of my personality away and it probably Mm. took me um I would say a good Jesus probably 10 years to gain my my confidence as a person back Mm -hmm. and then before I knew it I lost my hair which affected a whole different part of my personality so yeah I I suppose it's been it's been a roller coaster but I've learned so much and and everything I do now I I apply into our businesses and and businesses who I work with and brands because I I think there's so much to be done out there and when people are missing bits of the jigsaw because they haven't solely been through something if you haven't been through something or you don't have that understanding I'm not saying you can't make or you can't be successful because there are so many amazing people out there who are Mm -hmm. successful haven't been through it and they just know how to talk to people and, and know how to deal with people and that that's I think the crux of it but I feel like coming from my place as an athlete and going through and living it and having coaches who sometimes selected players on six packs not on performance um having been judged for having no hair all the time for being thrown out of toilets for having no hair Mm -hmm. for for, you know for for being judged I suppose by generally just from being myself I've really had to home in on who I am as a person and stay really strong with who I am and surround myself around good people that's that takes serious mental strength which, you know, as Lily said at the beginning, most sports people that we meet who have excelled in their sports um, have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't mean to say that you don't have your hurdles and you don't have your challenges every day and still have them. So that's, yeah, that's yeah, testament I think to that. What really like hit home a, a minute ago with what you said was the fact that it's that vicious cycle of I need sport to stay happy. Like that's what keeps my mind clear. And mm-hmm. then you're taking that away from me. And then I, mm-hmm. it's that like spiral effect. But then on the flip side, when when you're able to kind of see clearer uh, about the fact that, you know, to be an athlete, you need to eat. It's that snowballing effect in a positive way where it's those small little steps, you know, just rebuilding yourself that then gets you to potentially an even stronger version of yourself than you were at the very beginning and I think what adds to all of this is that when you're saying athlete and Olympian you know a lot of people might instantly think running or you know something like that but actually no rugby was your first choice 
um, in terms of sport. So what was it about rugby that, that you loved? Because it's got that stereotype yeah. that you have to be even stronger to be a rugby player, yeah. right? <laughs> Lily, I'll be honest, I didn't. I cried on my way to training every night. Really? <sighs> yeah, honestly, my story is like, uh, there's so much to it that I'm like, I think bit, bits come out every time I new, do a new podcast, bits, new bits come out because <laughs> I forget that I used to cry on my training and my my stepdad just used to shove me in the car and off I'd go with my coach and my coach would pick me up and take me there. She probably still remembers it now. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't about... See, at the time, rugby wasn't at the Olympics. Yeah. So it wasn't about, even though I wanted to be an Olympian, I used to watch and, and want to be there. I then ended up in a sport that wasn't at the Olympics. So it doesn't it make any sense. <laughs> yeah. um, but to be fair, it was more the fact that I was going out the house. I started to have friends. I never fitted in. And because because mm. I was always muscular, I never fitted in at school. I was bullied for being different and looking different. Um and I'd never get involved in anything. I'd always just go quiet because I knew that I wanted to represent like my country. So in my head, I was like, I have to behave. So it kind of kept on the straight and narrow. So I ended up, my, my stepdad at the time ended up playing um, schoolboys, like um, young schoolboys in England on the pathway to England. So he kind of got me into rugby and that was my mom's second marriage. So I was really lucky and fortunate that I had a stepfather who supported me. Um, but there wasn't much at a time. Like you said, it was male-dominated. There wasn't many rugby clubs yeah. around. Um, I had to physically go and hit people, and I was so skinny, I couldn't do it. So I'd practice on the sofa every night against my stepdad, and then a girl would come and run at me, and I'd be like, yikes, I can't do it. I'd go and run in a different direction. Yeah. So I couldn't do it. And I remember even having a conversation with one of my young coaches at the time, and he was like, you've got lots of potential, Fisher. And I was like, yeah, but I can't tackle. Like, can I play for England and not tackle? And he was like, of course you can. Like, we just need to teach you this and you can avoid this. And it kind of kept me going. So it made me realize again, as a mentor and as a young athlete, okay, so I can just work on this part and I don't need to worry about that. Because mm. as soon as you start worrying about something, it, it you castrate it in your head, right? You mm. make it bigger and, and, it, and it kind of, I suppose it becomes something bigger than actually what it really is. And when the confidence, when the young person is ready to be confident, they will be, they'll, you will present that, you know? So I, I suppose I started getting more confident and um, doing well at rugby. And then I ended up in the pathway, but then very quickly obviously diverted across to bobsleigh, which was my other sport. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, fortunate enough to be a dual international in two different sports, but I then came back to rugby. Um, but all of it was based around my environment, the food and my health. Because when I was bobsleighing, it was a European diet. I started to lose my hair. I started to train... Um, and push myself at such extreme levels and such conditions of being cold that I couldn't shift my colds, I couldn't shift my coughs, and I was competing at that level, the GB level, you mm -hmm. know, and I was getting really run down until I got pulled out by GB to go fish. We need to take six months rest, and I had glandular fever again. So that, I suppose, the first part of my childhood into my early 20s, and probably until I was 26, I was really rocky. And even now, mm -hmm. I'm probably still a bit rocky, right? But, you know, I've got, all... got together <laughs> somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you say so we're talking about bobsleigh now so you've gone into rugby uh, a, a sport that society didn't doesn't ne necessarily expect a girl to go into especially mm. sort of like you say back when you were doing it when you were younger and there wasn't so many sort of facilities or or girls teams around female teams around um and now you're getting into bobsleigh. How on earth do you get into bobsleigh in this country? I mean, I know you, you've just said you end up in Europe because you have to, 
how <laughs> yeah, don't ask. I didn't even know it existed so I learned I learned lessons really early on uh, like at young age I think I learned all my lessons that have seen me through my whole of my life and now I transition to other businesses which is brilliant but I literally learned them really really early on is the truth and I learned mm. that um so I was cocky when I got into rugby and I started doing really really well I started to get a bit cocky and started to be mm. like well I know I'm really good at this I'm just literally like now I'm training well I'm eating well I still hadn't had I still I wouldn't have said I I was anorexic but I hadn't eaten so that I was coping with even even on my debut for England I was still coping with my eating disorder mm-hmm. that 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 I, I've managed it my whole career like it's mm-hmm. been an issue throughout my whole career and no one knew about it England didn't know about it and it wasn't until I got pulled into an office early 20s and, and my coach said fish how is it that one day you can be on fire and the other day it's like you've got nothing in the tank got and no I energy. knew yeah I knew I knew why but I was like, I don't know, maybe don't feel it, I don't know. And I was just make excuses, but behind the scenes, I was just working, working on my mental state to make sure I could be stronger and get there. So I was working really hard and I became really physically strong and powerful. And, you know, I became a really good all-round athlete. But then when I got to that level, I started to become a bit cocky with it because I was starting to just, it was just fine. I was just smashing yeah. people for fun. And the confidence came to just do it on the pitch, but away from the pitch, very quiet, very insular, no friends. But on the pitch, I was this monster and I could, and I, I could deliver. Um, but then it came down to like a trial, an England trial, and my coach dropped me um, because I would used to forget my socks or forget my gum shield or not fill out my nutrition diary. In my head, I didn't want to fill it out because it was the food, mm-hmm. which relates back to my eating disorder. Uh, but I knew I was eating. So I got in trouble for that and I got dropped. Um, and... I understood why I got dropped. I understood that the small things make up the bigger part of the picture. And I still believe in that now. But also don't ju- judge a book by its cover, right? And there mm-hmm. was a journey that I had already been on to get to that English shirt and to that trial. And the reasons I hadn't filled certain things in was because of what it was where, where I was going mentally in my head. Yeah. But I got dropped. And as you do, you take yourself for a coffee. So I went to Starbucks, sat in the coffee shop, and just contemplated life and where I was going next and my next training session. And somebody just came up to me and said, look, you look pretty strong and fit. Do you fancy trying out for GB bobsleigh? Literally what? like that. <laughs> yeah. And it made me realise, whoa, like, this is like, for this is like, call it fake, call it what you want, but how does one close a door and then open another door? Like, that door would have never have opened unless, I, unless, I, unless that door was closed for me. Yes. And actually, bobsleigh forms my speed and my power that's carried on my whole career. I've had that speed and power in my system that I never knew I had at a young age. And I've literally become like speed and power in the sevens game. And then I went to sevens. So I do believe that things are set out for us, but I kind of, I went off to Boston and I loved it. And I had a chance obviously at Winter Olympics, Mm. um, but I hit ganja fever again. And I didn't have the fire in my belly. I had a love for the sport. And I had a love for the challenge of being the best brakeman off the top of, 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 the, um, of the slide um, and having the best times and in terms of the, the push track times and getting faster and competing on that scale, like it was awesome. Um, but I didn't have the passion, the fire in my belly because I felt like I wasn't an all-rounded individual and I wanted to be successful on and off the ice or the, or the field. Mm-hmm. And that was what I set out to be. And because my parents had gone through a hefty divorce and my mom was into a second marriage and again, not happy and probably on the on the way to a second divorce, which was at the time, I felt like I had to step up and be, um, I suppose, more accountable and stronger for her. And I had to be um, 
the one that she could go to and that's the person I became and I felt like I had to be the one who could support her financially so I felt like I had to do more and be more um so even though I was representing my country in bobsleigh and then obviously back to rugby I, I saw it as a springboard to have to spring myself to another level in life to have mm. to help everyone else around me and maybe that strength that you know you managed to find for your mom and for your family is why you've now got that voice to be able to mentor other people I mean it does sound like you've done that throughout Mm. but I think once you start looking after one person as it were you just get that sort of nurturing feeling that you have to try and help as many people as possible and I I, I can imagine you doing that with your teammates and everything (laughs) I'm quite I am but then I'm quite quiet so I think because of my I lost a lot of my personality I lost my hair and Mm. I still struggle now with that daily but I, I just, I just truly, I love, I love how One Voice changed my life, and impact is so, is impact is huge, right, in everybody's life. Yeah. And I know I sometimes look at what I've gone through and go, yikes! How the hell am I still going? And how, how the hell am I sat here now doing what I'm doing with opportunities I've got, which is brilliant. But actually, what drove me was the emotions through all the hurt that I was going through mm-hmm. from the divorces, through my hair loss, from, from my dad not being in my life, um, through coaches not accepting me for being who I was. Yeah. I, I've gone through so much emotion that drove me on the pitch to literally go, I do not care what you're saying right now. I am going to prove myself right. Not prove you wrong, I'm going to prove myself right. And I did that for so many years, guys, that it was almost like when, when I finally said, I'm done, it was because I actually was okay with who I was and I accepted who I was so yeah. what drove me to the Olympics and what drove me beyond for a second Olympics and obviously you know at the last minute being injured before Tokyo but what drove me was the passion and the fire in my belly to be something and be someone because all the emotion I had built up was just so much inside of me I had to release it. No definitely and when you you mentioned um, a few times around the alopecia and I'm just trying to get the timeline right. Because like you said, there's a lot that has happened in your life. So did that happen when you got into bobsleighing and you were over in Europe? And how how did that and obviously all the illnesses, you know, affect where you were in terms of competing? So when I, after I went through anorexia, I've always had a really bad belly and really struggled with digestion of food. And that's something I still struggle with now. Yeah. I know a lot of young people struggle with it. That's something that you have to learn to understand how to cope with and change and understand what how your body works, right? But then from that, obviously, I hit Glenn for a second time and then a third time as well before the Commonwealth Games. Um, but I was starting to get ball patches when I was bobsleighing. And I thought it I thought it was just my helmet rubbing on my head. You know, I didn't think anything of it. So I true. thought my helmet, my helmet's rocking around a yeah. little bit. And it's a bit of it's a bit crazy down that 90, 90 miles an hour slope, you know. So it's just my helmet rubbing. But it wasn't. And then I came back and I started to get more ball patches. Um, but you never think you're going to lose your hair. And this is something as a female, I, I don't see many bald females out there rocking a complete bald head. Uh, when people shave it off, that's great. But you still have the choice to grow it and it still grows mm-hmm. and you know you're not going to lose it. It's very, very different. So I do struggle with my hair a lot. Um, but it started to come out in clumps uh, when I broke my back. So I broke my back. I was in a plaster cast from my neck down to my waist. Um, and it started to come out literally just before I broke my back. And then I broke my back and it didn't really come back after that. But mm. I still had eyelashes. I still had body hair. 
but then through my career, just through the stress of sport, I think it competing at a high level, and then I lost my eyelashes, mm-hmm. um, I then lost my body hair, um, and then it came back a little bit, and then it it's gone. I haven't had it now for what ten years, eleven, twelve years. Mm-hmm. So um, it was in it was in my early twenties. We lost it all when I was twenty uh, three six, uh, and then lost all my body hair, pretty everything thirty, and I'm thirty seven. Yikes. I don't look at it, do I? No, no you do not. <laughs> Genuinely. When you were telling all these stories and you were like, 10 years from here, 10 years from there. And I was like, how is this all fitting in like 30 years? This is a lot. This I am is a 37, lot. still going strong. Wow. No, I'm, yeah. So I, I lost it when I was like 24, 25 and I lost it completely after I broke my back and I was, in, I was out of action for a good couple of years. And you can imagine with my anorexic days mm-hmm. and my nickname was Jelly Belly. So to go from being anorexic to then in a plaster cast, no training at all. You can imagine the whirlwind that just oh, caused wow. its own. Yeah. And then I lost my hair. Oh my gosh, my identity went outside the window. Like I just lost who I was and I've had to reinvent who I am, but stay really true to who, who and what's in here. Because if I didn't, I said, oh, I think I just got off the rails. I feel like if I was let loose, I got off the rails. So I've had to really be disciplined and who to stay true to who I am because that's the way I was at my happiest the way you've channeled trauma and you know everything all the challenges you faced is quite incredible I just need to say that because yeah. it's just thank you it is like you're telling me your story and I'm absolutely forgetting that we're sitting here on the podcast because I'm just <laughs> listening I'm forgetting that I'm gonna need to talk in a minute <laughs> <laughs> it really is like your your strength of mind is incredible yeah and I'm just looking at all the notes sorry Sorry, I was just gonna say and we've got words like British championships you know GB and junior championships world cups olympics commonwealth games so it's not even just like you're surviving life yeah you're achieving all these huge accolades as well like how how did you get that mindset back after all of that I guess it's a if we knew the answer we'd bottle up and sell it right that's what I do now for a living, right? I <laughs> see uh, what I do with businesses because I don't believe that I don't believe that a hurdle has to stop you. I don't believe mm-hmm. that. So I never fix my mindset after it. I made sure throughout the whole thing it was fixed throughout the whole. And I, I, I never pretend to be someone different. I, I wear my heart on my sleeve. Mm-hmm. I am what I am. I am who I am. I will live how I want to live, in respect to what's going on here. But at the same time, I have a strength of mind that I think is a good person and to make change for the better that's actually how I live that's how I live my life and then along alongside that I then had to become really good at like you know the effectiveness of communication problem solving a plan a b and c you know I've had to look at the bigger picture and have these dreams and goals that actually you know how many people how many how many of us set goals and go oh yeah I can achieve that like by, by Christmas I can honestly say that some of the dreams I've had and got and done I didn't know if I was going to achieve but I went for them anyway Mm -hmm. and I think the importance of you know having that courage but you've got to train that courage just like you train your mindset you've got to train that courage within you that strength the discipline I I, I sometimes don't understand how I've got through what I've got through if I'm totally honest because to still represent my country and no one really knew what was really going on no one really knows my Mm -hmm. real story and I share it on podcasts and obviously if you guys I share it the amount of times I've been told officially write a book because there's been I've been through so much and 
You really should. I really truly believe that you have to choose your attitude every day you wake up. You have to choose your attitude. Like you have to. I've had to. And I wouldn't have achieved what I've achieved along with going through everything else unless I chose my attitude every day because there's so many times I just wanted to hide away or so many Mm -hmm. times I wanted to break down and cry, you know, and I I have done that, but then I've still switched the switch to go and be successful. And I think it comes from having ambition. It comes from wanting to be more than what you are. I don't want to be comfortable. And I've actually learned to understand that I grow when I'm, when I'm uncomfortable, I grow. Mm-hmm. When I am stretched and I'm challenged mentally, I am growing as a person and I thrive on that. Um, and I don't want to survive. I don't want to listen to my chimp and just survive and hold back. I want to actually go for it. And hey, look, if I don't make it, it's okay. I understand that I won't make it all the time. But Jesus, I will actually go out there and I will make it. And there's no other option for me. To, to, there's no other option to take. And I think that's, you know, I would have asked you, what would your advice be to people I was listening? Just about and I to think you this. just summed <laughs> it up so perfectly then, because everything you said is so true. And it is just dissecting all those elements down. Um, and I mean, I feel crazy even asking you this, but you've obviously gone through a lot, which in itself, is a success right surviving is a success Mm. um being able to mentor so many people across so many different you know health issues and elements Mm. is a huge success you've then got you know representing England for both rugby and bobsleigh so what has been your most memorable achievement in your career or can you just say I am not answering that question Lily no Lily (laughs) the answer is really simple everything I've gone through away from the field and the ice has been my biggest success and that almost brings a tear to my eye a little bit because there's I've gone through so much that, that I, I can't even talk about some of it, you know? Mm. Like, there are things I can't talk about and there are things that will never come out, but there are things that are close to my heart that I know I've gone through. And that, for me, is my biggest success. And that, that for me, is where, when I come into being a mentor and work of brands and, and people, it's understanding how to make people tick. We can all make changes. We can all leave this podcast now and we can listen to it and go, oh, that's a cool podcast. Or we can go, right, that's a cool podcast. Where the hell do I make my changes? When do I start now? And mm-hmm. how am I going to do it? Bish, bash, bosh. And you stick to it and you you commit to it. You have to commit to it. And for me, I committed to being um, an athlete. I committed to being Olympian. But alongside that, I also committed to look after my mom. I committed to being the one in the family that people go to. I committed to being someone who would survive. It wasn't about surviving and that was it. It was about surviving and I will thrive. Mm-hmm. So how, how am I going to do that? And where's my plan A, B and C? So that doesn't work, I've got that. That doesn't work, I've got that. Some people would argue that you should only have one plan. And one plan is like your soul. You know, you put everything into it because if you do that really well, you don't need a plan B and C. But you know what? without being rude shit happens and when shit happens you have to know that you can deal with it and you have to know you've got the confidence within yourself to go and deliver so when you know that you've gone through stuff and you know you can deliver all you have to do is that's your blueprint you Mm. go again you go again and you go again and that's your successful model right right there and like you say you choose your attitude you get up in the morning you know what you're aiming for and and I suppose nobody else is going to do it for you no of course not that's the key isn't it that nobody else is going to do this for you it's it's on you to make the changes to succeed to to you know ensure that you are happy 
I think um, a lot of it as well comes down to understanding from a young age, like what success looks like. You know, we're yeah. all a model of what we've been surrounded by. Yeah. And we create these library of thoughts in our heads of what we think we should be versus what we should be or versus what we want to be. And it's that challenge as a young person to go, I view success as this. Right now it's this. And what do I need to do to get there? And success changes all the time. Success changes, you know, on pathways, transitioning from business to business or from me, athlete now, going from athlete to real world, that's crazy transition, um, you know, and you've got to understand, I think, from a very young age, what success looks like, because once you know what success looks like, then you can go and attain it, and you can put everything into it. If you don't know, really, you can have a goal, but if it's not, if it's not successful, then it can throw people off, and it completely changes the goal, so I think it's about um, knowing where you want to go from a very early age, and being really clear and decisive and just going for it and not being afraid to, to fall, you know? Because once you've mm-hmm. fallen once, like, hey, you're like, here's the proof, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. You can fall multiple times, but you can get up thousands of times. And I think that's that's the key. No, definitely. Oh, I want to have her on every podcast. <laughs> I, just, I just want you, I just want well, you next do, to me all the time. Yeah. Jobs. Give me a job. I Oh, thank you so much. I think as Sam said, we could sit and talk to you all day because honestly, it's it's so amazing everything that you've achieved and your attitude is just infectious. And I'm so glad that you have a platform that you can share that with people and yeah. help so many people. So for anyone that hasn't like heard of Heather before and wants to check out more, you are on Instagram, Heatherfish29. Is that correct? I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that's it. So make sure mm-hmm. to give her a follow. And I know for one, I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on what you're up to and just following everything you say because I'm just going to do everything you reminder. say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you, Heather. No, I appreciate it. I, re- I appreciate you having me on here and, and hopefully it can impact a few lives. And I think, um, there's, there'll be a few people hopefully listening um, from obviously your side of things that people are trying to make changes themselves and go through challenges. And mm-hmm. you've got to remember that you've got to be patient and it's the bigger picture that you've got to look at. You know, it doesn't matter about what you've gone through as long as you're looking to go forward. Mm-hmm. You know, we've all made mistakes. We've all got things that are faults or what you want to call them, you know, but as long as you're always moving forward, I think mm-hmm. that, that is absolutely key. Just keep pushing yourself and challenging yourself. Thank you, Heather. no worries guys thank you Uh, have an amazing day everyone and we'll we'll see you next week bye bye